Let's go back to the time when a white student went to a majority African-American school. Welcome to the time when I am your host, Chris McLean, and in today's episode, it is the third in our series of everyday people telling the story of their experiences in school growing up. Today's guest is a white woman who went to a school with mostly black and Hispanic students. Our guest, Katie Varga, grew up in Willingboro in New Jersey and went to Willingboro High School. According to the U.S. News and World Report today, Willingboro High School has a 98% minority population, which consists of 91% black, 5% Hispanic, 2% white, and 1% Asian. 66% of those students are reported as low income. Katie tells an interesting story of what it was like to be one of the few white people in school and how it has shaped her life today. Make sure you listen to the second part of this interview where Katie and I have an open and honest discussion about race in America today and how many white people may be feeling today about their role and how they can help bring about change. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our show and make sure to check out our website, thetimewin.net, for more information on each episode. And now on to the story. Hello, everyone. Today we are here with our guest, Katie Varga, who grew up in South Jersey. She has a very interesting story because she went to a high school that was 99% minority, but yet she was white. Hello, Katie. Thanks for being here. Thanks. I am still white. So, <laughs> uh, so, so what was it like being white, but going to a majority minority high school? Um, so, well, I think it's important to point out that it was majority minority starting from kindergarten, okay. you know, so by the time I got to high school, it was not unusual, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, it was just where I grew up. And uh, I think, you know, one of the other things you've asked about before is, um, you know, was the town majority minority and not necessarily. I think when I was growing up, the town itself was somewhere around 50% white. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of the white kids went to private or Votech schools. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it was my, I was it's just where I grew up. It wasn't anything really weird for me. Mm -hmm. So did, did a lot of your, your friends then go to the uh, like Votech or private schools? Um, yeah, I mean, black and white, it didn't, wasn't necessarily, I, like I said, well, growing up, my a lot of my neighbors were black. Um, some of them went to private school, some of them didn't. Uh, I had one white friend in elementary school who went to a Votech school and um, I had one white friend that ended up going to a private schools in middle and high school. Um, but I never really thought about like, where are the white kids going or, or anything mm -hmm. like that. It was just, uh, the schools weren't great. Um, schools are some of the lowest performing in New Jersey. And uh, they have a lot of issues with infrastructure, with funding. Mm -hmm. um, there's been some fraud in the mm -hmm. uh, human resources or well, 
10 years ago was like superintendent stole like millions of dollars. Uh, but so, yeah, so it's not like I had to choose between going to a great school of minority students versus going to a private school. It was like, you're going to go to a crappy school no matter what. (laughs) So, I mean, it wasn't, um, I didn't really think about it, I guess, Hmm. you know, where black kids went to school or where white kids went or Hispanic either. We had a decent population of Hispanic kids too. Mm -hmm. I I read an article when you were uh, interviewed in high school and in the article uh, you mentioned that there were, where there are fights in your school and that it gets publicized. Uh, what, What did you mean by that? So there's fights in every school. I mean, you and I are both educators and I mean, even though our school has very limited, you know, violent issues, we know other schools in the district and the state, you know, across the country that there's fights in every school. I mean, my, my high school actually had a sign in the cafeteria that said like X amount of days since our last fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was flipped often to show that we had, you know, basically a fight every day or multiple times a day. But like, that's the kind of stuff that would make the news, like make, make it into the newspaper, you know, whereas other schools in the next town would be talking about like how great their kids are and, and things like it was just publicized. Like you, you don't, I didn't think there was a need to say, oh, there was another fight at, at the high school, you know, or the middle school or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, there was never a suggestion on how to fix it uh, or deal with the issues or look at the root cause of why there's, you know, fighting happening. It was just basically, you just always heard about all the negative stuff that was coming out of there, like, like fights. I mean, like chairs being thrown in the cafeteria, stuff like that. <laughs> so you felt like your school just got a bad reputation from those stories? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we already had a lot of things working against us. We were a low-performing school when it came to standardized testing. We had the funding issues, um, fraud a few years ago. There was like, they had to shut down one of the schools because there was mold in, in there and everything. So that's just like one more negative thing that they were saying about the school. Hmm. Yeah. I also saw in the article you mentioned uh, in sports that a lot of times you refs were, were biased towards you guys. I mean, I don't know if it was like a lot of the time. I knew a lot of the referees from, I mean, it was a small town. When I was living there, it was between like 30 and 35,000 people. Um, and everything in New Jersey kind of works on townships. Like we live in Delaware now and everything goes by County, but we don't even have townships in Delaware, but in New Jersey, it was like, you did everything in your town. So Mm -hmm. like my soccer team was in my town. And so I I knew all the referees and my dad was on this committee with them and stuff. So like, I knew a lot of them, Um, but it just seemed, and it could have been my own bias, but like, it just seemed like a lot of the times it went against us, especially when we were playing white schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even, even the spectators, we, there was a team we used to play every year and they always picked us for their night game because they knew they were going to beat us <laughs> like six, nothing. <laughs> and yeah. And I mean, it was like looking back, I'm like, it was a hundred percent white, but I don't know. They could have had other minorities on the team, but I, my parents told me, uh, I think it was my senior year that they were walking up to the stands and another white parent approached them and said, oh, this is going to be an easy game, right? And my dad said, I don't think so. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and they, like, kept talking to my dad, like, just assuming that I played for their school. Mm. And then finally my dad was like, um, you know, my kids go to, well, say, my kids go to Willingboro High School. And the mm. guy was like, oh. 
<laughs> like they, it was just like, it just felt like everyone was picking on us all the mm-hmm. time. Um, and nothing against like those schools, but it just, it was pretty obvious that we were looked down upon a lot. Did you ever get anything from like the other players on the teams? Like, did they ever say comments or anything? Like towards me in particular? Yeah, or, the, or your team or the school? Well, there were definitely comments against my teammates. And, you know, there were – so I played soccer and lacrosse. Um, the soccer team had three to four white people on it at any given time. And um, we would basically rally behind, you know, our teammates. We definitely heard stuff on the field, racial slurs and all kinds of things. And basically, I mean, it's very hard as a teenager to let that slide. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there'd be a couple extra shoves and tugging. <laughs> things like that. I only had uh, one time that I had a teammate say something to me in terms of race. And I was playing lacrosse and I was a freshman and she was a senior and she was okay. And I was better than her. And she didn't like that. Mm. But, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. (laughs) Did, uh, Did your family like ever receive pressure like for you guys to go to a different school like did your like cousins or other family members go to different schools and kind of look at you guys like why do you go there I didn't really have cousins that live real close to me I have one cousin who lived in a white town went I don't even know where he went to school actually um and uh all my other cousins lived in like Philly Hmm. so um you know they didn't really have the same options as me uh I my older sister did go to private school for one year um and she hated it so Mm. she went so she went for her ninth grade year and Mm. then um 10 through 12th grade she went to willingboro um my parents specifically my dad did approach me and my twin sister in eighth grade and ask where we wanted to go to high school um because you know you had the vote tech options they were willing to look at private school i knew that realistically that was not something we could afford Mm -hmm. even in eighth grade I knew that was not you know that would be a really really big burden on my parents um but we had a third option which was um to use my parents have a shore house in New Jersey and they were talking about using that address to get us into a really big really good school um in on the shore um and I really loved that idea uh, it had nothing to do with race why I liked it. I just really liked being at the shore and I, they had a phenomenal soccer program. Wow. Um, and so I was, it, it would have been like a 45 minute drive every day, mm-hmm. um, you know, to school and 45 minute back or whatever, but like it would have so been worth it mainly for me because the soccer program was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately my sister, my twin just wanted to go to Willingboro and, my parents didn't want to separate us. No. Um, she yeah, she played the same sports as me. She was a little more involved in things like homecoming. Um, I didn't really care about <laughs> that stuff, but like she was a cheerleader for a couple of years to the homecoming committee and, and I didn't, eh, I just wanted to do the sports. <laughs> well, I did other, like, I didn't oh, I'm gonna show my nerdy. I did like science league where you basically <laughs> like studied to take science tests. Um, (laughs) uh, so I did like biology and then chemistry and then physics and but 
yeah, but I, I really wanted to go for the soccer program. But it, I mean, it would have been like a majority white and it would have been a huge high school. It's one of those like regional schools where it encompasses a few different townships. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't anything about the race aspect of it. I don't know if my if maybe my dad at the time was looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I didn't look at it that way. I don't know. Did you ever have any like like kind of issues growing up in schools like uh people i guess being mean to you or anything like that they were very few and far between um i only have like one that really really stands i have two one that really stands out to me i was in i think like eighth grade and i was walking with my friend his name's chris um and he was black and (laughs) and we kind of like both had a crush on each other but whatever like i had a boyfriend so (laughs) and um but we were like walking home from school and I have no idea why but these people these I think like two girls across the street just started like yelling at us and they they were and they were I guess like directing their comments toward Chris and they're like why are you walking with that white bee and Mm -hmm. and stuff and I was like like what's the problem (laughs) you know um I just really like didn't I don't know it was completely unprovoked Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were friends of his or whatever. Um, and so that's like one that really stands out to me. Um, and then another one I will say bothers me. Uh, and this is so stupid. And my, my twin and my friend and I still talk about this, but like superlatives when you're a senior mm-hmm. in high school, yeah. you know, you have like class clown, most athletic, blah, blah, blah. I was like up there for most athletic and best eyes. Mm. Um, and I, I was pretty sure I was not going to get most athletic. There was this other girl that I don't remember who got it, but this girl, Nicole totally should have gotten it because she played soccer. She I think like ran track, like she did basketball. She's a basketball coach now. Yeah. Like, yeah. So she, in my mind, I don't remember who got it, but it should have been her. Um, but I was the only person in the whole freaking school with hazel eyes, Yeah. <laughs> like greenish hazel eyes. And like my twin has blue eyes, but there were a couple other seniors um, who were white who also had blue eyes, but I was the only person with greenish hazel eyes. I felt like I was a shoe in and I did not get it. <laughs> and I have no idea. Like, it's funny, but it's also like, how is this possible? Like, how did I not get that? So... That's funny. I wanted to win best dress for my senior superlative. <laughs> I remember I was mad that I didn't win best dress. And I don't yeah. know why I wanted to win it, but for some reason I thought I should have won best dress. Yeah. I mean, like, I knew I wasn't the class clown. I knew, like, I was athletic, probably not the most athletic. I knew I was a good student, but not the best student. But, like, I had that on lockdown. Like, I was the only person who should have won that. <laughs> and I have no explanation except you know a popularity contest or something like that like the people who won did have really pretty eyes but they were brown (laughs) like the other like 150 people who had brown eyes so i mean i don't know there's a i mean there were definitely other things you know like you said a lot of it was on the soccer field or something Mm -hmm. um but for the most part you felt comfortable like in the school I felt more comfortable around black people than I did around white people. Hmm. I was often referred to as, and I think you'll only know this term if you were a white person growing up in a black 
town as an inside out Oreo. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're white on the outside, but black on the inside. So whatever those expectations are, those norms right. or whatever. Um, but yeah, I definitely, when I was around a majority of white people, I felt like I didn't talk about the same things or like know the same things or wear the same clothes, you know, like shop at the same stores, mm -hmm. um, listen to the same music. Uh, so I did, I went, I also did dance for 10 years. Um, and the dance school was in a white town and it was majority white uh, dancers. And even there, I was, I, I had like a, even there, like I was friends with like the one black person mm. in my class. <laughs> um, and uh, funny story, her brother runs with um, Castellaneta oh, okay. and in it, Philly. It's a run crew? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I just, I don't have like a conscious explanation for why I, gravitated that way or like what was uncomfortable about it because obviously like all my family was white mm -hmm. you know and I was fine being around them and it, it was just like when I got into groups the way that they talked or the things they talked about like I just didn't have a way to relate mm -hmm. with them I guess and that was similar when I went to college yeah that's actually what I was going to ask you next what was it like when you went to college and the, and the demographics shifted again I kind of uh kind of leaned towards um like a black group i was at the time i was dating a guy who was mixed he was half black and half white mm -hmm. um and his roommate he had i guess three roommates i only remember one he was black he was the only one of his roommates that we hung out with i guess um and uh it was definitely weird um it was that whole thing like i didn't and and the school that i went to had a i don't i don't it was probably like 50% white, 60% white. So it wasn't like, you know, 90 or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, there was definitely a good group of, of uh, minority students, but it was like culture shock. I remember like my first semester just being like, I don't know what these white people are saying. Like, <laughs> I don't. Um, and, and I mean, obviously I adjusted. It was fine. It wasn't a big deal. Um, I do remember one thing that really stands out to me one time we had to do a fundraiser. I can't remember what it was for, um, but my friend and I were doing this fundraiser and we were talking about like, where do we want to do it? Um, and it was like March. So it was like preseason for spring sports and the end of winter sports. And we're like, where are we going to, you know, go do this fundraiser? Like I'm thinking like, where am I going to get the biggest bang for my buck? Apparently that's what she was thinking too, but differently. And so I, it was like snowing outside or there was snow on the ground or something. It was really cold. And I said, like, I don't feel like going outside. So let's go to the basketball game. Mm -hmm. Like go inside and ask those people about the fundraiser. And she wanted to go to the lacrosse scrimmage. Hmm. And um, I said, you know, I don't want to be outside. And she was like, well, think about it. Like, are the people at the basketball game really going to have money to spend on the fundraiser? Wow. And in that moment, I was like, I had such a, like, it was such a revelation. Like, I was like, number one, what did you just say? Mm -hmm. Like, number two, like, the fact that it was so ingrained in her mm -hmm. to think that way. And then number three, like, she has no idea what she just said. 
Right, right, right. Like the implications behind it. Like she just has no concept. And even still, like it makes me like, like it makes me like shake, like thinking like somebody is, it's so deep in their brain. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that she, like at least the way I see it is like she made this connection, like basketball is associated with black people. Black people is associated with not having any money or Mm. not being willing to give money or something like that. But lacrosse is going to be associated with white people and there's going to be a bunch of white people and they're going to be able to give us their money. Like what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it happened so quick in her head Mm -hmm. that it just floored me. It completely floored me. And I don't even remember what we did after that because I just remember being like speechless. (laughs) And I was like, this is how in that moment I was like, this is how white people think. (laughs) Yeah. And it's still to this day, like, I don't know if you can see it through the Zoom, like, it's still to this day, like, enrages me. Mm-hmm. And it, I just, I don't, I don't know. It, I don't know how someone can think that way. Yeah. Right. So, so what would you, what do you think you take overall from your experience growing up? The one thing that I always go back to when people typically ask me about, you know, growing up in Willingboro is that I'm really grateful hmm. for it despite the fact that the schools weren't rated the best, I would say I had some really great teachers. Right. Um, And you know how it is. Sometimes you have kids that are really difficult to work with or they don't have a great foundation, but you know, teachers are still working their butt off to help them. And I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of what it was is like, there were some really good teachers there Mm -hmm. who, um, I mean, in any setting would have been considered a good teacher. Uh, so I, I'm really, really grateful for staying in Willingboro through my whole education and being in a place that, uh, I guess, I I guess it would have been better if it was a little more diverse, but I like the fact that I was kind of more of the minority. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I can say like, oh, I relate to, you know, oppression of black people or anything like that but I can relate to like being in being the minority in the setting. Right. And, and being uncomfortable. Um, and even relate to like being uncomfortable around white people or not knowing what people are referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really, really grateful for growing up in a place like that mm-hmm. because like I said, you know, I, it's, it's not at all the same as a black person growing up in a place that's 90 some percent white. Mm-hmm. you know, because you have all the systemic issues against that minority. And I didn't have that working against me, mm-hmm. obviously. There were a couple things like I really wanted to do this uh, Lockheed Martin program. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wouldn't let me because I was white. <laughs> it was only for minority students. Uh, um, there were some Ivy League schools that came in to interview kids and they didn't realize that I was white. And then they terminated my interview. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) things like that, Mm -hmm. uh, were kind of tough to take, you know, where I kind of had some of those ideas like, well, you know, why is this against me just because I'm white? Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there's only like two instances in a whole lifetime. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, but I'm really grateful for the experiences that I had, you know, in, in growing up around people who were different from me, I guess, and realizing like they're really actually like not that different from me. Mm-hmm. I don't really, it's hard to put into words, I guess. Now I was gonna say, do you like, 
so you were saying like growing up, like sometimes you had a hard time um, relating to like the other white people. Like, yeah. um, do you still kind of feel that today or not, not as much? No, no, um, no. I, I definitely think I've had enough exposure to a bunch of different, you know, races. Like I obviously like I've been around a bunch of white people. I've been around a bunch of black people. I've been around a lot of Hispanic people. My first boyfriend was from Chile. His mm-hmm. mom really only spoke mostly Spanish. And to this day, I will say I have never had an empanada that tastes as good as hers. My <laughs> um, second boyfriend was from Colombia. Um, his mom really didn't speak English and hated me. Um, <laughs> but so I spent a lot, like my first four to five years of dating, being around like a lot of Hispanic people. Um, and uh, I'm pretty comfortable in any of those situations. I mean, or around any of those different people. It's, and that's what, I think that's what makes me like so grateful is I can go into anywhere. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I can walk into some of those stores that, um, you know, sell different, um, like, Hispanic goods Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, like, I'm like, yeah, like, I don't speak Spanish, but I don't care, you know. (laughs) I can walk in there and be fine with it, or I can walk into uh, a party that's majority black people, and I don't care. You know, it's it's not uncomfortable. Right. Um. That's something that, um, you know, some of my friends growing up, because like my high school was the opposite of yours, right? So my high school mm-hmm. was, you know, 99% white. And, um, but that's something that, you know, my friends and I talk about now that growing up in that situation, we, similar to you, like we feel comfortable in multiple settings, right? So like we mm-hmm. kind of felt like it kind of prepared us for like the workforce, you know, like where, um, you know, there wouldn't be many minorities, but we feel we feel comfortable in those settings. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a little, I think your school, I guess, is more of like a microcosm of the actual world where you have a majority of white. Like, mm-hmm. if I didn't go, like, say I had selected to go to a historically black college, which I had considered, mm-hmm. um, and then and then went into the workforce, mm-hmm. like, I don't know how I would have adjusted to that because generally the workforce is majority white. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm glad for the experiences that I had in college going to a school that had a lot of white people and others, but like, because I, I do think about that. Like if I had gone to a historically black university or college and then tried to go into the workforce, like would I have then had that shock right. going into work? Like what would I have done, you know, in a building like ours where we have, I mean, of the actual teachers in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Are you the only black teacher now? No, we have one other in middle school. Mm-hmm. Two others in middle school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. forgot about Mike. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, that probably would have been weird to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, so like, like I said, like my friend, um, like my best friend growing up, you know, he played football at a, at a college. And... Um, he said he had some of his teammates who came from a high school probably similar to yours. And now they went, you know, to their college and they had like a complete culture shock because yeah. they weren't, you know, used to that in the college and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even you think about like, I mean, you're only a few years older than me. So if you think about like, where did you buy your clothes when you were in high school? <laughs> like, yeah. My sister definitely had baby fat and rock aware. 
<laughs> like, were you wearing Rockaway? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it was like that. And that's just like Sean what John. we were. <laughs> yes. And Sean John. Yes. Um, and, and then like, nobody wore that in when I, we went to college, you know, like it, right. it was kind of like faded out by the time I went to college anyway, but like, it just was like, nobody else wore that. Like no, no one in my dance school wore mm. any of that stuff. Um, no one on my travel soccer team right. wore any of that stuff, you know? So it's just, and I, I didn't really, I wore whatever, like I've got it cold. So I didn't care. It didn't, <laughs> didn't matter. You know, whatever, like my mom bought me, if I could have just worn like soccer shorts and a t-shirt, literally what I'm wearing today, <laughs> like every day, like I'd have been fine with that. But I definitely remember like, I guess a lot of my like white friends were shopping like American Eagle, Aeropostale was real big. And then like right. suddenly Abercrombie hit the scene. Right. And I was like, I will never shop at Abercrombie, that racist store. You yeah. know, like I will not buy Tommy Hilfiger because he said he doesn't want black people wearing his clothes. Like, right. like all that. And, and they just like, they just didn't even know that stuff. Right. It's crazy. I, I even, you know, when you asked me about doing this podcast, I was, looking at some of the stuff about Willingboro recently and, or more recently, I guess, or trying to find that whole article that was published in 2004, which I really had trouble finding. Um, and a lot of the stuff that came up was about the coronavirus. Mm. And even now there's stuff like, you know, Willingboro is hit hard by coronavirus. Um, mm. You know, Willingboro is not getting the resources that they need to, you know, fight off. And I'm like, why? what is different about Willingboro than all the other surrounding areas? Right. Yeah. And it comes down to like, there's black people there mm -hmm. and it's so infuriating. It's you, just so infuriating. Do your parents still live there? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. My mom moved there when she was in 10th grade. Um, my dad moved there when he was in fifth grade. So that would have been like around 1960 for my dad and for my mom would have been around like early 1970s. Hmm. And Willingboro used to be um, a Levitt town. Hmm. Uh, um, okay. So it was Wellingboro, like when it was first incorporated in like the 1670s. And then when it became like a township, it was changed to Willingboro. Um, and then Levitt started, Levitt and Sons or whatever, started building all the homes in the 1950s. And they changed the, team, the name to Levitt town like the others that he had built a lot. Of, I think a lot of them are like in Pennsylvania. And um, so there was like this massive building of neighborhoods. And even today, the town is split up into these neighborhoods. So like I lived in Garfield East or Garfield Park East, is like its official name, but there's like nine, I think, different neighborhoods. Um, and you always know where you are in the town because the streets, like the first letter of each street name begins with the same letter as that park so like garfield mm -hmm. east everything began with an e gotcha. garfield north everything begins with an n millbrook everything begins with an m um and so i was looking at some of that stuff and even if you look through like my parents yearbooks the um the town progressively becomes more minority mm -hmm. throughout like the 1960s and 70s yeah. um and so i've done some research like, trying to look into some of that stuff and i saw that they had a lot of like blockbusting issues where realtors would come around and basically say like, Oh, there's black people moving into the neighborhood. You should move out, mm. you know? Wow. Um, 
yeah, or refusing to give mortgages to black people. And then I've also heard stories that Willingboro during the 60s and 70s was advertised in places like Georgia as a growing black community. Wow. Yeah. So like you could move north, you know, mm-hmm. into New Jersey and uh, and go into this community and be around other black people. So I don't like that obviously could have been a factor that kind of fueled the, the demographic change. Mm-hmm. Um, but my it's interesting because both of my parents' families moved into the area yeah. during that same time. My mom moved from a really white area, Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad came from Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's crazy, like, at a time when white people were basically being told, like, you want to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> my parents' families both moved in. And my grandparents on both sides lived there till they died. My parents still live there in this um you know they this they're in their second house in Willingboro but yeah we looked at moving when I was in sixth grade and uh just didn't happen my grandparents were in Willingboro my mom didn't want to you know move far away from them Hmm. so yeah they're still there yeah and my mom was a teacher in Willingboro um for 30 years just retired recently wow yeah (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on. This was uh, very interesting to see, like, you don't often hear, you know, this side of the story, you know, usually hear like a black student going to a predominantly white high school. So I thought it was really interesting to hear the the reverse. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. On a personal note, it was interesting to listen to Katie's experiences and related to my own experiences going to a school that was practically the complete opposite of her school. My school was probably 95, 96% white. And a lot of the things that Katie mentioned that she felt growing up, uh, I felt the same, just in an opposite way. So it was real interesting to hear that perspective. As I mentioned before, make sure you listen to part two of this interview where Katie and I have an open and honest conversation about race in America today and how many white people may be feeling today about their role and how they can help bring about change. And as always, remember, everyone has a story.